We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Hey everyone, this is Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. You're listening to the Rotoviz AFC West season recap. We'll be discussing all of the teams in the AFC West and looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of what happened in the division in 2017. For those of you who don't know, Rotoviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotoviz.com to check out the site. And I'm really pumped to be joined by Hassan Rahim, uh, who you may have heard a number of times on RV Radio this season. And uh, if you are a subscriber, you definitely checked out his Buy Low series that he did each week. And uh, he did not disappoint. He did a lot of research for this pod, so I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to him. How's it going, Hassan? Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to record uh, with, uh, with you on this one. Uh, the AFC West is a pretty uh, interesting division and I'm uh, pretty stoked to uh, get started. Yeah, so I think that the the team that it makes the most sense to start with, and we're going to go down just in uh, order of finishes, so team with the most wins is the Kansas City Chiefs who we'll start with. What an interesting team this season. You look at the journey this team went on. They came out of the gate firing on all cylinders, 
smacked the Patriots around the first week of the season. They won the first five games and they were looking great. Then they went in a massive drought, only winning one game between week six and week 13. And then they win out. So obviously we saw Kareem Hunt emerge. Alex Smith became a very fantasy viable quarterback. When you look at this team and what happened in 2017, you know, what are some of the key takeaways for you? Yeah. Uh, First off, I'm kind of bummed to see the Chiefs uh, exit the way they did against the Titans. Uh, Taking nothing away from the Titans, the Chiefs' defense was really, really beat up by the end of the year, and they kind of just seemed to have given up. And they, you know, uh, another season and another home loss at Arrowhead uh, inexplicably in the playoffs. Uh, One of the, and as you mentioned, I think one of the things that really stands out to me is uh, Alex Smith's uh, having an absolute career year in his age 33 season. Uh, I do believe that uh, the Chiefs will be moving on from him this offseason. They can uh, cut him and, you know, get a $17 million in savings towards the cap, either cut or trade, I I should have said. Um, You know, so Smith is uh, likely we've probably seen the last of him uh, in KC. Uh, But, you know, kudos to kudos to Alex Smith. He, he, you know, he's had his uh, definitely probably had his best season ever as a uh, pro. You know, he uh, completed a career-high 341 passes. His 67.5% completion percentage was the best completion percentage he'd ever posted as a chief. And he threw for, a you know, a tick over 4,000 yards. And uh, it was the first time in his career he ever went, he ever went over 4K yards. Uh, and uh, I believe that there are plenty of QB needy teams that will probably either look to trade for or acquire him, uh, assuming the Chiefs got him. Uh yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing too that's interesting too, the 26 to 5 touchdown inter- interception ratio is going to be mm. pretty interesting. So then obviously the team is going to be going with Mahomes, uh, which I'm sure some people out there will be excited by. Do you have a read on that? Yeah, uh, I'm actually kind of uh, excited for Mahomes' long-term prospects as a chief. Uh, he graded out pretty well in Rotodoc's uh, quarterback uh, prospect model. Uh, he has about the same percentage chance of succeeding as Jared Goff does. And we just saw Jared Goff turn in a, a stellar season. Um, you know, Mahomes, as we know, was a pretty prolific producer at Texas Tech. But we also got a good look at him uh, in the pros. He played a one full game against the Broncos. He completed 22 of his 33 pass attempts for 284 yards. He should have had a TD, but he uh, just slightly missed uh, Demetrius Harris on um, on a play in the end zone. And, the, you know, it just, just missed his fingertips. So the day could have been better for Mahomes, but he looked pretty poised in the pocket. And I think, uh, you know, Andy Reid uh, will probably be altering the playbook for him uh, next season. Uh, you know, Reid uh, is known to cater to his quarterbacks' talents versus you know, having them adapt to his system. So I, I can see them changing this offense uh, from a dink and dunk kind of thing to one where we get to see Mahomes uh, unleash his arm a little bit. Yeah, I think that will be exciting. And, uh, you know, the offense is going to look largely the same. Uh, I think you, you, you sent a note over me that Albert Wilson is set to hit free agency. So I think that that could, uh, could impact how that offense is going to look. So with him leaving, do you think that there's any, uh, changes in the receiving core, uh, that are going to occur as a result of that? I actually think the Chiefs might go into looking to draft uh, a couple of wide receivers. Uh, That's probably the only way they can fit in new receiving talent without really destroying, you know, their gap. Currently, they're they're probably, out of all the playoff teams, they definitely have the worst financial situation. So I would look at them and assume that they're going to be drafting uh, a wideout or two uh, you know, later in 2018, we're still going to see 
Tyreek Hill uh, behave as their uh, WR1. Tyreek Hill took a bit of a step forward this year. You know, I, I was pleasantly surprised uh, to see that happen. His uh, average depth of target increased from 8 to 11.6, and he accounted for 21% of the target share. Uh, you know, despite seeing a pretty large jump in his A dot, uh, Hill was very efficient at converting those air yards into receiving yards, and he ended the season with 75 catches uh, for 1,183 yards and seven TDs. Um, you know, Hill catching seven TDs, uh, in all honesty, is kind of uh, it's pretty impressive given that he was not targeted in the red zone uh, fairly often. He only saw four red zone targets and two red zone carries, and he converted none of those attempts. So he was uh, living on uh, splash plays to account for his uh, touchdown scoring. That's one of those things that you assume is going to be unsustainable. Uh, now, Hill, though, was very efficient last season, and it looks like you know he put up numbers that are a little bit higher than what I would say are normal. Granted, I haven't dug into it yet. So normally when a player does that three years, I say they're one of those guys that manages to beat the rule uh, and actually truly be efficient. So it looks like he could be one of those guys. Obviously, he'll still be competing, though, with Kelsey for targets, who I'm assuming is going to be their main receiving weapon going forward. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, absolutely, because although Hale saw 21% of the targets, Kelsey saw 24% of all available targets, and he scored uh, 1,038 yards. I mean, he he uh, put up 1,038 yards in eight TDs. Kelsey is also the main receiving weapon that they have in the red zone. Kelsey saw 20 red zone targets, and uh, five of his TDs came when the Chiefs were inside of the red zone. I would assume that if, you know, with Mahomes under center, they'd probably be looking to get, you know, Kelsey in motion a little bit more, use him more like a wide receiver, just try, try for those splash plays. You know, maybe we actually see him truly like ascend into perennial DE1 status. Uh, the coolest part actually about uh, about Kelsey was had he been classified as a wide receiver, he would have finished the season as wide as the 10th wide receiver overall. And uh, Tyreek Hill was a WR9 on the season. So uh, just, a, you know, pretty fascinating that Alex Smith, of all people, was able to support two top 10 wide receivers for all intents and purposes. True. And it's even more surprising to me that you have a top five quarterback. I think in a lot of leagues, Smith was ranked four. You have a top five running back and then a top five tight end and a top 10 receiver. Who would have thought if you go back just a couple of seasons that the Kansas City Chiefs would have produced this type of offense? Now, the defense did struggle a little bit. Uh, compared to what some may have expected, but obviously Kareem Hunt was a huge, huge storyline uh, in 2017. Yeah, and if you were one of those guys who was uh, drafting a, around the time where, uh, you know, when the Chiefs were about to play their third preseason game uh, before, you know, you probably got a pretty good steep discount on on Kareem Hunt. I mean, he was, I mean, like if you were one of those guys that was lucky to get him uh, around the 8th or ninth. He's he was probably the MVP of your fantasy season. He posted almost 300 PPR points, um, and again after Kelsey, he was like one of the most targeted receivers in the, in the red zone. He saw nine red zone targets, and he converted six uh, and he caught six balls and he had two TDs and he also had and he just dominated all the rushing work in the red zone as well without without Spencer Ware present. Um, you know we saw Sharkandrick West steal a little bit of that work uh, from him down the down the stretch but really i there's just no way that's going to happen uh, again it, it was kind of uh, it, we got to see west steal a little bit of his receiving work and we saw west steal some of his red zone work but really what i think you're going to see is hunt is going to just maintain his uh, bell cow 
role going into next season and I, it's possible where backs him up provided he's fully healthy. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I found most interesting about Kareem Hunt is, as I'd mentioned, we saw kind of three separate segments to the season for this team. They came out hot, struggled in the middle, and then they finished hot. But if you look at Hunt's splits, so the team won 10 games. In those 10 games, he was averaging 23 PPR points, 20 standard points, and 20 attempts with four targets. But then you contrast that with the games that they lost. He averaged only 11 PPR points in those games, eight standard, four targets, and 12 carries. So we did see Hunt kind of go with how the team went. Of course, you could make the argument that the team went with how Hunt went. Uh, it's probably somewhere a little bit in between, but I think that that was particularly noteworthy, especially given the fact that I think a lot of people are going to be considering spending a uh, first-round pick on Hunt next season. Yeah, but the one thing that I will say, though, is uh, Hunt at least has a fairly strong receiving floor. He saw 63 targets uh, last season, and, uh, you know, we're yet to see how this offense will function uh, under Mahomes. Uh, you know, maybe that target share for running backs rise up as Mahomes favors throwing to the wide receivers. But again, uh, you know, outside of Hill and Kelsey, I don't, they're, they're not many other players that consume a lot of that target share. So we could probably see, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more offensive creativity uh, with Andy Reid and Kareem Hunt, if he's got a stronger armed uh, quarterback under center. So it would be interesting to see kind of how Hunt is used next season. And, and, and to your point, I do believe that it was, it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing there between Hunt and how the team went versus and vice versa. Right. I think it's a little too early to uh, try to read into that. Uh, Given just, you know, that it was his first season, we're going to have a slightly different look with that team next year with Mahomes coming in. And with Andy Reid, uh, you never really know what you can expect given the personnel that he has. So that was the Chiefs. The Los Angeles Chargers ended up winning nine games, uh, which I think might have fallen in line with some people's expectations. They did have some solid fantasy contributors that went a little bit under the radar till we really saw Keenan Allen come on and eventually finish as the uh, wide receiver three. What are some of your key takeaways for the Chargers uh, in 2017? Yeah, I mean, first off, kudos to Keenan Allen. He, you know, like around the draft season, a lot of people were worried about Keenan Allen being injury prone and, you know, He's basically, you know, he played all 16 games and not only did he smash that injury prone label, he did so in, you know, just outstanding fashion. He was an absolute target hog. Uh, he took up like 27% of all available targets and he finished as a, dub, as a wide receiver three on the season with the 278.2 PPR points. One of the most interesting things about that is that with Allen hogging 27% of the targets, no other wide receiver on this team exceeded 12% of the targets of Philip Rivers' targets. That is crazy. I mean, Keenan Allen is an absolute monster. I was very happy to see him perform because it's one of those things. We see players sometimes that we know are not only good in real life, we know they can contribute from a fantasy perspective. We know when Allen plays, he gets all those targets. It was just a matter of staying on the field. And when you don't have a random lacerated kidney or another you know, crazy injury that happens early on, this is what you're going to get from a guy like that. So Philip Rivers was throwing him the ball, and we got another vintage season from Rivers. Yeah, and the one really cool takeaway from, from this season with, with Rivers is, you know, he's he turned 36 and he uh, is known to be a fairly in 
interception-prone quarterback. He only threw 10 interceptions this last season, and it's the lowest mark since 2009. So, you know, almost a decade later, he's having one of his, you know, his, his interception rate, you know, rate has just gone down. He still threw for over, you know, 4,500 yards and 28 touchdowns. And it was actually kind of interesting to see his, uh, the, the red zone usage because uh, the aforementioned Keenan Allen was targeted 24 times by Rivers in the red zone. And, uh, you know, four of Keenan Allen's TDs came from inside the red zone. So it's, you know, as fantasy gamers, we're not the only ones happy to see Keenan Allen back. It's clear that Philip Rivers is as well. Yeah, definitely. And it was an interesting uh, passing game, as you said, with Allen just absorbing so much of those targets. Melvin Gordon got involved. And then we really saw Antonio Gates... Uh, slide away into the twilight of his career and really become a non-factor and Hunter Henry really becoming the guy. So if we look at that uh, receiving core for next year, what are some of the changes that we might see and what can we expect? Yeah, so Antonio Gates uh, will be, is set to be a free agent and that would pretty much make Hunter Henry uh, the everyday TE1. He missed uh, the last game of the season, I believe, with uh, a, a small laceration in his kidney. And hopefully we're hoping that he's OK and, and ready in time for OTAs and next season uh, again. And uh, Hunter Henry is a, just an absolute stud. I mean, like when he's been called upon, he's produced this season. He was second on the team in uh, red zone targets uh, and he caught five of uh, his 12 red zone targets and he scored three TDs. Uh, with uh, Gates set to retire, uh, I believe a larger share of red zone offense will be available for Henry. Um, Gates accounted for 11 red zone targets and he caught three passes and uh, scored three TDs. So I believe that there's a little bit of, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that either Hunter Henry or Keenan Allen improve their, uh, you know, touchdown totals next season or at least get a higher percentage of the looks going forward. Yeah, I mean, for a player like Henry, especially at the tight end position, uh, you add in another be it two touchdowns and that's that's moving him up those boards as well so i'm actually excited about his chances next year and then obviously melvin gordon uh was solid and we also saw austin uh Ekelar get uh, involved as well so in terms of the running game um you know what are you expecting for next season is gordon still going to be the main guy is he going to be the focus yeah, uh, Gordon was the seventh uh, highest scoring player in fantasy football this season with 288.1 uh, PPR points. It, you know, there were there were times in the middle where it didn't feel like Gordon was particularly good, just rushing the ball, you know, just fairly ineffective, fairly inefficient in rushing. Um, but, you know, he cracked uh, 1000 yards. He rushed for, you know, 1105 yards and he scored nine touchdowns. And really what kind of buoyed Melvin Gordon's fantasy finishes this season was just how aggressively he was used in the passing game he saw 83 targets in 2017 which is a significant increase from the 87 he received last season and he got 58 of those 83 targets for 476 yards and four touchdowns his 83 targets were second most on the team after keenan allen so in a, in a sense melvin gordon played that wr2 role in in, in conjunction with that rb1 role um yeah, that's interesting. You know, this is one of those shifts that we're seeing uh, is just now running backs coming back and, you know, being involved 
very heavily in all facets of the game. We're seeing not only the starters get a lot of looks, but in many teams, the backups getting a lot of, a lot of looks as well. And I think it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, some of these things that we're seeing from these teams when we look ahead to a team like the Oakland Raiders, who struggled by all accounts in 2017. They're bringing in John Gruden. I think a lot of people might be excited about this, uh, but I feel like he's been away from the game for a while as a coach, being able to workshop some of those, you know, different schemes that he might want to try, uh, to implement as the league has been evolving. So to me, I'm not as excited, uh, given that distance as others might be. What's your take on that? Yeah, uh, I kind of agree with you. Uh, per Ian Harty's of Fantasy Labs, uh, Gruden didn't coach a single top 10 scoring offense from 2002 to 2008 with the Buccaneers. And he, uh, you know, he had a top, uh, after doing so in four of six seasons with the Eagles and the Raiders, uh, I'm actually kind of uh, cautiously optimistic that Gruden will help make Derek Carr into at least a better version of the quarterback that we saw this season. I mean, it was a pretty poor uh, season for all the Raiders, but especially Derek Carr, who seemed to take a massive step back. But if you look at uh, Rotodox using Saber Metrics to project 2017 NFL team wins article, he actually pegged the Raiders as one of the luckiest teams uh, last season. He had them projected for about, he mentioned that in the, at, for their Pythagorean win theorem, uh, the, their win formula, the Raiders projected for approximately four fewer wins, you know, per the per the Pythag per the Pythagorean wins. Oakland were the luckiest team in 2016, and they were going to face the toughest schedule in 2017. And as we can see, they just took a massive, massive step back, and Rotterdam nailed it. You know, about a you know before the start of the season. Yeah, that is quite a step back, and it is interesting to see them. Uh, and up on the other side of the, of the fence there. That is a recipe for disaster, obviously, when you're outplaying expectations and then your schedule gets a whole lot tougher. Uh, but in terms of the receiving core, it was really interesting to see how things shook out this year with Crabtree and Cooper. And I believe that we're going to be seeing a slightly different look uh, in terms of the receiving core next season. Yeah, there was a report from the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal that mentioned that the Raiders are looking to move on from Michael Crabtree this offseason. Uh, you know, and uh, if you look at their at the contracts, uh, the Raiders can cut Crabtree this offseason and not suffer any hit to their cap. And it's possible, you know, Gruden might just take that route. If he does so, that would open up a pretty sizable target share. Uh, Crabtree is accounted for, uh, you know, at least 145 targets in 2015 and 2016, and he saw 101 targets this season. So you're looking at a pretty large uh, target share that will be opened up. Uh, I, I think Crabtree would uh, still be a, a pretty good performer, uh, regardless of whether he's going to be a Raider next season or if he signs with someone else, someone else, because I think he's still got juice in the tank. He's a fairly prolific red zone receiver, as we've seen. He just doesn't drop many balls when he's targeted in the end zone. Uh, but and if it's a, if this is the last time we see him in black and silver, then um, good luck, uh, Michael Crabtree, I guess. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that he is a type of guy that, especially from a fantasy perspective, is going to be relevant wherever he goes. And I'm not ready to write off Amari Cooper. Maybe I'm not going to be drafting him as highly as I did last year, but I don't think that we want to write him off or forget about him, especially if he becomes the focal point of that offense. Uh, to quote John Gruden, I'll, I'll tell you what, I like this guy. I like him. <laughs> yeah, um, so, I mean, 
definitely Cooper would be the biggest beneficiary if uh, Michael Crabtree were to leave. Uh, and I agree with you. I think I think Michael. I mean, Amari Cooper definitely was the biggest letdown this fantasy season. He certainly sunk up, uh, uh, just destroyed. But we got to remember that, you know. Before this season, he was averaging 1,110 yards from scrimmage and about five and a half touchdowns per year. You know, even though he had a down year, uh, he still scored seven touchdowns. So he's had a career high in touchdowns despite, you know, really having a very, just a, just a atrocious, atrocious season. Ben Gretsch noted in his uh, Stealing Signals column that one of the uh, reasons that Amari possibly had a very poor start to the season was because he was on the injury report every Wednesday and he, then he was upgraded to full on Thursday before playing on Sunday. So you're looking at, you know, clearly a player who's undergoing some some form of treatment for his bulky knee. Uh, he missed a bunch of practice time in August. He, you know, cl- clearly wasn't right. And in the only the only time he wasn't listed on the Wednesday practice report was before the week seven uh, game against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you you probably remember that that was where uh, Amari got eleven balls and he scored two hundred you know went off for two hundred and ten yards yeah I do remember that because I was actually recording uh, with Tim Talmage uh, highlight reel episode while this was going on and I, it was the week that I'd finally given up and sat him and I had a, a meltdown on the air yeah oh, yeah no I I, I actually uh, had to start Amari I, I the way I built my teams were expecting Amari to go forward and so I was fairly lucky to have him slotted into my lineup. It was my. It was one of the only games I won that season, thanks to the forty-four points. So uh, that was cool. He's nice. <laughs> yeah, and then so uh, as far as the running game goes, questionable if Marshawn Lynch is going to be around. Uh, he actually was an interesting experiment this year. I think some people felt like he should have been more utilized, uh, especially given the team struggles. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And you know, do you like Washington or Rashard to be the uh, the feature back there next season? Uh, I really don't know what Gruden is going to do. I know he mentioned that he wanted to talk to Lynch and really kind of get a feel for him. But the Raiders can bring him back next season for only four million dollars in salary. So I don't know if they got him for the zero cap, if that four million is really worth it or not. Um, you know, again, and look, like you mentioned, Marshawn Lynch, uh, the biggest issue was his like lack of utilization. He only eclipsed 15 carries once in the first nine weeks, but after week ten, he he hit you know 15 plus carries in all games except for one, and that was where he really sort of came on down this down the stretch down uh really really came on as a, as a running back i think part of that was you know amari was hurt and crabtree was hurt and you know you're looking at a quarterback who's lost all confidence so why not have beast mode run the ball he looked pretty good uh when he was running the ball but uh it's a fair question whether or not to bring him back uh in that case if oakland choose not to draft a running back uh you, i would probably expect uh, washington to emerge as the uh Kind of the big bruising back with with you know Jalen Richard playing that uh, change of pace uh, scat back role, uh, and uh, you know Richard's proven to be a pretty capable uh, receiving back, and so I, I think he'll have a pretty solid next season as a as a receiver out of the backfield. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that uh, Richard is the guy I would be more focused on building into my team just because it seems like you know there's more likely to be a role that's going to carve out for him that can carry from game to game without having done too much uh you know thinking into this so that is the Raiders anything else that you think was noteworthy before we uh move on to the Broncos 
Yeah, just a, just a note on on Derek Carr. He sort of spent this entire season kind of becoming this dink and dunk game manager specialist. Like his average yards per attempt were down. He, you know, had, there were fifty fewer pass attempts this season than any other season. And and I know that he missed a game this season, but still, you know, I'm hoping part of it is just him playing through injury. And maybe we see a different Derek Carr under John Gruden because really for, you know, any of our predictions, especially for Amari Cooper to go off, you you kind of need good quarterback play. And and I'm really hoping that uh, Carr is able to take the next step forward with John Gruden, but I'm still kind of cautious over there. Yeah, well, I need to go back and watch the uh, Gruden quarterback camp with with Carr. Uh, As you can tell, I I love Gruden and I just can't wait to hear the, uh, I'll tell you what, I like this Derek Carr, man. Pretty good, man. Pretty good. I think I did the impression better that time. I had to work it in the second time. I don't know if I do it good, but I have fun doing it. Ah, and I should probably mention that though the season is over, it's still a fantastic time to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. The discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it supports the pod. So be sure to get your 30% discount off an NFL Pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. We're going to close with the Denver Broncos, who had a pretty terrible season, largely due to struggles at the quarterback position, uh, going through three different quarterbacks, none of them really finding success, uh, success, and the defense just not being able to keep them in games like they may have hoped for, uh, given what we had seen from that defense in years past. Granted, it had a slightly different makeup this season, but uh, the Broncos struggled. So what do you think we can pin, uh, we, you know, what do we need to point to when we think about the season? I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's just the quarterback play was was fairly poor and pretty inconsistent. Uh, you know, it's clear that Trevor Simeon or Brock Osweiler, neither of them are the answer. And, and Paxton Lynch didn't look much better. So, you know, we have to wait and see what the what approach the Broncos take this offseason. Do they go uh, and draft a quarterback with their, with their uh, first-round pick? You know, do they go out and sign a veteran to kickstart this offense. Uh, you know, there've been rumors of, of them trying to court Kirk Cousins or any of the other, you know, free agents. So maybe the aforementioned Alex Smith could find his way to Denver. I like that. I would like that. Just have him throw a bunch of short dink and dunk screens to Demarius Thomas like they do and just let DT just rack up the receptions. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, basically both Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders really struggled under this uh, poor QB play. I mean, you know, despite the bad QB play, like Thomas still had 83 catches for 949 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, and over the last three seasons, DT has accounted for at least a 25% target share. So, you know, again, he's probably going to be, people are probably going to be kind of off him because of the poor QB play. Maybe his ADP will be a little bit depressed, but I'm going to buy someone who's getting that kind of target share all season. You know, I mean, like, that's just a fantastic value. Absolutely, especially with that drop-off that we're going to see. And we've now seen, even with the poor quarterback play, that he will be relevant and you know better than some of those options that you're going to get later. But as far as Emmanuel Sanders goes, he struggled with injuries. I am starting to feel, though, like you know it might be a bit of a risky proposition if you're drafting him around where he's been going historically as we move into next season. 
Yeah, and I don't know how how much we should. Uh, I guess it kind of depends on the signal caller. But this was the first time uh, for Sanders as a Bronco where he failed to catch about a, a thousand yards receiving. You're still looking at a at a player who's uh, accounted for twenty percent of you know the, the the targets over in Denver. And if it's age or uh, that that's worrying you a little bit, or maybe like the injuries catching up to him, I can I can see that being being a possible uh, worry. But depending on where you're getting him and where his ADP starts to shake out. Uh, it would be kind of interesting to grab him as a as a flyer. Uh, well, I guess it's it's weird calling Emmanuel Sanders a flyer, but that's what this season has done to us. Well, I think for me, you know, it's 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 a function of a couple of things. Mainly being, he is the type of guy that I feel like if if the things that he does well and the things that have differentiated him start to slip a little bit, especially with uh, potential for poor poor quarterback play it's a real slippery slope for him and he could fall off quickly but the other side of it too is I think where I might be drafting him I'd rather take a player that I think has significant upside and could really surprise versus I think Sanders at this point you know I don't see him really blowing up um so that's just kind of my thought process there I I don't know you know if you agree with that or not no I no I I agree with that I think I think that's something that I got to work on as a player this season is uh, think about taking some more risks you know towards the middle and the end of the draft just because you know if if you're lacking those uh, high volatility outs in in your draft selections uh, and you're playing for floor you're not going to have a very high ceiling on a weekly basis Definitely. And I was hoping that um, some of these unsuspected guys that I could get late were going to come out of the Denver backfield, be it Booker or Jamal Charles. And it just never really came to fruition. And it's weird because CJ Anderson had some really good spots. But overall, you know, I don't think that uh, he lived up to what I was expecting going into the season. But it's kind of hard to make sense of what this backfield really did. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is CJ Anderson's first 1,000-yard uh, season as a Bronco, but he also only scored three touchdowns. You know, I mean, you've got a, a running back dominating the touches and pretty much seeing three-down work, but he's got he had such little red zone equity that you're really looking at kind of like empty calories almost from a run from the running back slot. Yeah, and so I mean, I guess I guess uh, Jamal Charles might not be on the Broncos next season, and maybe Devonte Booker will probably be the change of pace back. You know, and I, I really don't. I, again, I'm with you. Like they could cut Anderson for zero hit to their cap this off season, but I don't know if they will. Yeah, and regardless of who comes in, I I feel like it might be a bit of a trap. Um, granted, we could see a complete turnaround, but. It's just been so confusing to me, this backfield, that I just, you know, I, I, I'm hesitant to really buy into anybody uh, there just yet. And I think it's an interesting point that he had the uh, thousand, the first thousand yard season, but it was relatively quiet despite a couple of big games. So are there any other players in that offense, you know, that could emerge next year that we haven't mentioned yet, you know, maybe for a dynasty league or just other guys to keep our eyes on uh, as we start thinking about 2018? Absolutely. I think uh, both Carlos Henderson and uh, Jake Butt are guys you should be stashing uh, for next season if you play in a dynasty league or maybe taking as late round uh, flyers. Henderson, uh, you know, pretty much missed his rookie season due to injury, which is a bit of a bummer because uh, he was projected to be their starting slot wide receiver. And Jake Butt uh, is was supposed to take over tight end duties. Uh, he was a fairly strong uh, tight end prospect out of Michigan, uh, missed all the entire season because of his ACL tear. Uh, but given the poor play that Denver has had at their tight end slot, uh, I'm, ho- I'm 
I don't think he's got a very tough road ahead to seeing a productive uh, time, uh, play time for the Broncos next season. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. So real quick, um, I'm going to ask you just a couple of rapid fire questions here. Who do you, wh- which of these teams surprised you the most this season, be it that they played well or that they played poorly? It, it definitely had to be Oakland only because they felt we anticipated them to regress, but we didn't anticipate them to take such a steep step backwards. You know, you've seen the entire coaching staff turnover, and with that, you know, with such a big turn shakeup in the front office and in the coaching staff, you know, you've got questions. I feel like Derek Carr might actually be on notice this season if he can't pick up the Gruden offense. They can cut Carr for a, you know a seven and a half million dollar hit to their cap, and they could probably start you know looking at the entire team anew because they gave Gruden uh, a ten-year contract, and you know you're looking at someone who's looking to really stamp his legacy on this team and probably will want to analyze every facet of what they have. Definitely. Uh, And the Raiders, it's going to be interesting to see what develops uh, as we head into next season. Now, the one other thing I want to ask you before we wrap up is the Chiefs. We, as we mentioned, it was kind of an odd journey for that team. It was odd the way that things played out throughout the season on a number of different levels. Uh, And even though they struggled in the middle of the season, you know, had a rough uh, go of it in that that first playoff game that they had getting eliminated by the Titans, we still saw a lot of fantasy relevant players. Do you think from a fantasy perspective that they're going to be able to contribute that many, you know, top level players next season? Or is this one of those things that it's going to have to kind of regress somewhat kind of like we saw the Falcons do as we transitioned from 2016 into 2017? I mean, we, we kind of always, uh, you know, with a new quarterback taking over, there's always going to be question marks. Uh, we know Reed is a pretty effective signal caller, and we do know that he does change the offense to fit the strengths of his quarterback. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Reed transitions his offense over to uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but from a fantasy relevant perspective, I guess some of that comes down to whether or not the defense is particularly good, right? Like if like if this defense continues being this massive sieve and just keeps giving up points, it's conceivable that. You know, Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to have to be a little bit more aggressive on offense to make up for all the points they're giving up. So you could be seeing a lot of fantasy goodness out of this team, even if their final record isn't particularly great. And I guess it kind of, it kind of comes down to what they do this offseason. Their gap is fairly poor, so they're, they're a team that we should definitely be tracking uh, very closely this offseason. Um, yeah, I definitely will. And uh, I think that for me... Watching Kareem Hunt, uh, how he starts off next season is going to be one of the most interesting storylines. Uh, so just a division that was very interesting this season. Things did not play out as we might have expected and, uh, a lot of uncertainty, but a lot of interesting things to pay attention to as we move into next season. So Hassan, as always, man, uh, thanks for coming on. It was great talking with you. Uh, I know you're going to be doing a couple more recaps and I will as well. So we'll stay tuned for that. But anyways, that is going to do it for the AFC West season recap episode. I'm Dave Cabin. You can find me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host on today's episode was Hassan Rahim, who you can find on Twitter at HRR5010. Uh, and that is going to do it. So make sure that you check out the rest of our recap series. And thanks for tuning in. 
Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Recap series. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the RotoViz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Say Metro by T-Mobile, got the best deal in wireless, and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly, because Metro has two lines for 80, and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free, plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.